Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 34 creating a dimple-free turtle deck. So the Sonics kit is really a, a great kit. It's a pleasure to build, and it generally fits together really well. However, one area that does require a bit of builder finesse is that turtle deck skin. It's the fit of the skin to the fuselage bulkheads. There are some simple techniques that will allow that skin to lay perfectly flat on those flanges, and it will produce a smooth, dimple-free surface. And so we'll describe how to make your turtle deck look like it was built by a pro. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonic's 1374. Joining me are my two good flying buddies, Gary Motley and John Gillis. Gary is builder of Hound Dog, an AeroV-powered tail dragger Sonics. He's a longtime pilot, former CFI, and a multi-time airplane builder. Gary, uh, how you doing? What are you up to? Oh, doing well, doing well. Just working my butt off these days, trying to wait for some of the uh, the tornado-like winds to calm down during the weekends to see if I can get some flying in. But otherwise, things are going well. So the spring winds are getting an early start, huh? Well, I wouldn't say early. I think they're pretty consistent about this time of year. You know, unfortunately, it seems like uh, the best flying weathers are the days that you have to work. Right. That's what I find here is if you sat at the airport all day long, you would have an, a, a flyable day, you know, every day of that week. But you got to be there ready to take advantage of it. On that one Saturday or the afternoon where you get off early enough to get some flying in, yeah, it's raining those days. Yeah, so yeah. get the weather and the schedule to match up, that's rough. About two more months and this stuff will be gone. <laughs> All right, good deal. Also here is John Gillis. John is best known for his custom touches including his speed cowl, his tilt-back canopy, and his tow brakes. So, John, uh, I heard you got your plane flying again. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> it's back down because oh. uh, <clears throat> I got a, a little extra money and decided to put autopilot in my airplane. So, the seat's out, and I'm installing autopilot this weekend. You know, John, uh, money burning a hole in your pocket is just a figure of speech. It's only there temporarily, and so I'm trying to get it out of there as quickly as possible. Yeah, oh, you well, you might get used to having money in your pocket, and that would be really bad. So, oh yeah, definitely. You're you're doing the right thing. Are we talking um, single axis or dual axis? Uh, single axis. I'm just doing uh, altitude hold because Mike complains that when we fly together that I can't keep altitude, and so I this is for Mike. And that is that is an accurate observation, I must say. Well, you know, I don't want to hear that from you because <laughs> um, I think you went to the Carl Binda flight school training program. I fly very well with Carl if we're in in phase. Um, if we're Angel out of phase, phase as you mean, yes, <laughs> yes. So <laughs> I've uh, I've been toying with uh, the weather's been like Gary said the uh, the winds are. are are not real favorable, you know, through, uh, January and February here, the, um, get a couple of, of flight days, but most of them is, you know, I don't want to do survival flying. So we're, uh, I got the, I got the seat out. I got the servo, uh, positioned, hasn't mounted it yet. 
And it, but it's all connected to the EFIS and it's working fine. So I'm, I'm looking good. I went ahead and, uh, and enhanced my MGL system. I was kind of reluctant because I, I was thinking about jumping over to a different uh, platform at Oshkosh and decided oh, I'll just go ahead and buy one MGL servo and see if it works fine. And it, so far it is. Which MGL EFIS are you using? I have the Extreme. Okay, and and that has the built-in software to drive the servo, right? They they put that in kind of as an afterthought, but uh, the the mini this is the mini EFIS, and uh, looks like it's the same software as the other EFISes. So, well, um, I think originally it was originally designed to have it, but it just took them a while to actually institute the, the autopilot function on it. Right, and I've never really investigated it until I got my servo and and connected it, you know, to a CAN bus and. And it came right along, right alive, and and was able to calibrate it. And now I have to just uh, get it mounted and and go up and actually fly it. And they have a, a whole test flight uh, program that you do um, with changing the parameters to you know keep it from porpoising and and uh, and doing some sort of a uh, pilot induced uh, oscillations based on the on the autopilot. Yeah, I'm working on my Dynon system too, and there's there's two phases: a ground-based calibration as well as an air-based calibration. Yeah, and I'm in the ground-based right now, and it's it's working. I was, I was actually kind of surprised; didn't take a lot of a head scratching to get it to go. Cool. So, did Mike remove his autopilot, or is it still in there? <laughs> Mike, the the fun thing about Mike, and I, I love him to pieces, is he. His previous, the, the guy who started his build had put a, a true track system in his. And it's driven off the GPS of the Enigma and not directly from the Enigma. So he's got a true track single access for bank. And um, <clears throat> the, uh, he could drive it directly from the, the Enigma, but. Um, you know, the the guy had made that decision. Well, Mike has never used it, even though he's a airline pilot and has autopilot in his day-to-day job. He likes hand flying his plane. So now that I've said that I'm going to a single axis pitch for altitude control, he said, well, what can we, what do we need to do to change mine to just do the same thing? So I have another project after I get mine going is to get his true track to tie to his enigma and do the same thing. I kind of suspected that's what he would do. Um, I didn't know if it was still in his plane or if he'd pulled it out. No, it's it's still in the plane. And, you know, the sad thing is when you fly with Mike, um, you know, in a wing, um, if he's ahead of you, his he, he is such a professional pilot that his track and altitude is dead on. I mean, he is within IFR standards the entire flight, even though we're flying VFR. If I'm ahead of him, all he does is just bitch at me over the radio saying, you're all <laughs> over the place. So um, I tend to try to say, Mike, why don't you take the lead on this leg? And then the next leg, Mike, why don't you take the lead on this leg? Right. Because <laughs> I, I can follow somebody really well, but I can't lead. Yeah. Well, you, you start to you get distracted. You're looking out the window. You're not watching where you're going. You know, Mike gets paid to not enjoy the view, but to fly the airplane. So. Yeah, and he does it extremely. Yep, you'll have to send us a couple of little videos when you get it up in the air and do your testing. 
All right, so no guests this episode, but rather uh, the three of us are going to do a panel discussion and we're going to peel back uh, this turtle deck issue. So before we do that, we got a couple of quick news items to hit. The first one is uh, the emergency landing that Peter Ellis made, Sonic's November 1611 Sierra. He was flying near a lake in um, New York, had an engine failure, his engine seized up, and he was able to land on the frozen surface of the lake. So you, you guys, uh, I'm sure you both saw this on the Sonics Builder news group. What was your first thought on, on reading this? Uh, you know, like having had a recent experience, you know, I can, I can certainly empathize with the guy. It sounds like he did what he needed to do, which is a great thing. Uh, in this particular case, if, if I read what I, if I remember what I read correctly, it looks as if this case, it was an actual mechanical failure. Uh, that was obviously noticeable, as in parts coming through the crankcase. Is that about right? Yeah, the pictures he posted on follow-up, it showed a broken connecting rod, and it had severed off of the crank, and the the loose end had punched a hole through the case. And so it was all wedged in the case, which is what stopped the engine. Certainly. So no mysterious aspect there. Uh, The only real question is what might have precipitated it, but you know, it's a mechanical gizmo like everything else. Things break and fail every once in a while. There's probably no real real, real quandary there as, as to what happened. What, bad luck. Well, bad luck and good luck. I mean, the guy also, he got it down, no injury, into the <laughs> a frozen lake bed is a perfect place to have an emergency landing as long as you get it off before the, uh, the spring thaw. <laughs> right, and he said that the plane um, it, it had about six inches of slush and and water on the surface of the ice. He said he thought it was going to flip. It's a tri gear. He thought it was going to flip, but it ultimately did not, and it did not collapse the nose gear, and so it actually rode out the landing pretty well. Aside from the engine damage, there was no other real damage to the plane. So that's not a bad outcome. No, it's probably more like an arresting gear when you hit that kind of water. Right, and that's probably why he felt like he was going to flip, is the massive deceleration. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. Better than going through a barbed wire fence, right, Gary? Well it, well, it certainly sounds like he had less airframe damage than I did, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we may not fully know why the Conrad failed, but there is a lesson to be learned here, and, and John, you touched right on it. How you handle the emergency, regardless of why the emergency is set into motion, is ultimately you know, what matters. And so he did the right thing. He kept his cool. He put it down safely on the lake and he had a positive ultimate outcome. And so that's the lesson here. And we've been talking about this repeatedly. You cannot allow yourself to fail to fly the airplane because you're going to lose it. And he did the right thing. So uh, definitely uh, we can chalk one up for, for that aspect of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Did the right thing. Fly the plane. Yeah. The hero in my mind. And just to put this in perspective, I I just took a quick look at the NTSB site. In January of 2018, there were 70 accidents on the NTSB docket, 12 of which were experimental aircraft, and three of those 12 were fatal. And so I look at that and say, okay, there was there was one out of out of 12 accidents was this Sonics, 12 out of the 70. Um, the only conclusion I want to point out is that. Bad things are happening all the time. There were 70, 70 incidents and accidents in, in just one month. So let's not blow it out of proportion. Every airplane, every fleet, every type is going to have some share of bad things that are going to happen. And it's really up to us to make sure that we're ready to handle those when they do. 
Heck, even the Cirrus guys with their uh, SR22s, with their you know fancy parachutes and stuff, they they have more problems than we do. Right. Yeah. And there were several, at least a couple Cirrus on that January roster. So. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to turn it into um, an analysis of accident statistics, but just to kind of put it in perspective, uh, we talk about the Sonics ones because that's what's of interest to us. But this is not a unique Sonics thing. This is a this is a pilot thing, and pilots of all airplanes of all fleets need to be prepared so that when the bad things happen, and they will, they always will, that you're ready to react properly and do the right thing. All right, so next on the list, uh, Sonics put a press release out. They turned 20 years old as of February 28th. That just seems crazy. 20 years ago, they rolled out the first Sonics. Ooh. Time flies, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've got an underwear older than that. <clears throat> yeah, I just, uh, I mean, they, they've been around, and I just, I don't know. I, it doesn't seem like 20 years ago that I was, I was looking at them on the flight line at Oshkosh. I guess that doesn't bode well for me. <laughs> anyway, in conjunction with their 20th anniversary, um, their press release talked about a, a 20th anniversary sale. They're offering 10% off everything, basically, until March 9th. So if you got parts you need to order or subcomponent kits or whatever, get out there and, and order it. And there are some limitations. You know, it doesn't account to third-party vendors and all that stuff. But you can get all the details on Sonics' site. And they freshened up their website. There's... There's a new sort of facelift on their website. You can get to most of the same stuff, but the menus have changed and adjusted a bit. And and I think it it flows well. It looks good on a mobile device. And it's got kind of a modern look. The old website was getting so large, it was becoming unwieldy. And I'm glad to see them kind of streamline things. All right, guys, last up, uh, a reminder, Sun and Fun 2018 is only about six weeks away. So it is April 10th through the 15th. And uh, time to start making some plans. So like I've said before, I will be there. I'll be there most of the week. I'll fly in probably on Tuesday. And Isaac will be presenting his forum talk on building his project as a teenager. That'll be on Wednesday at 9 o'clock. And we'll be hanging around uh, talking to builders and enjoying the show. So come on out and find us in Camp Sonics. And and uh, Mike is supposedly coming up with those passes for you, John. Is he going to follow through on that? Is he going to make good? Oh, he'll give me a he'll give me an airline pass, but my problem is the uh, the vacation pass from work. Ah, uh, so yeah. <laughs> All right, Mister Mister Gary, I'm an independent contractor, just sticking needles and kids on on my own dime. But you know, I can't do that. I think you're beginning to look pretty ill myself. <laughs> uh, I can't even see you, but you're sounding pretty ill. So yeah, I hear it. <laughs> I, I feel on it's that. a case of it's, blue it's, flu it's rumbling. Yeah. If only I could have a nurse write me a note. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gary's going to prescribe some altitude therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it works out. Um, I understand. Uh, you, I know you'll do whatever you need to, but um, hope to see you guys there. Gary, I hope to see you too. So whether you bring hound dog down or you fly down with Carl or whatever, come on down. Yeah. I'd certainly love to get away. Pretty much depends on what kind of parts are showing up and when, I think, though. Yeah. Yep. All right. So how do we fix these turtle decks? All right. Yeah. Let's let's get to it. So first off, to kind of start this discussion, um, let's just make sure everybody understands what are we trying to achieve here. And 
uh, in a nutshell, we want a turtle deck that fits over the bulkheads nice and smooth, where the rivets go through the skin into the flanges on the bulkhead, that because it fits nice and tight, it do- the rivet doesn't pull the skin down into a small little depression, a little dimple or a divot or whatever you want to call it. I'm calling them dimples, but but don't confuse that with like a dimple die for a, a flush rivet. We're just talking about a little depression in the skin at the rivet because it doesn't fit perfectly. And if you get on Google and do some searching, you can find examples of Sonics that when the light catches them just right, those divots and dimples in the turtle deck become very obvious. That distortion reflects light differently, and it really kind of jumps out at you. And uh, some of the really, really beautiful polished Sonics airplanes, uh, that skin fits perfectly, and there's no there's no dimple at all. And so that's what we're trying to get. We're trying to get a perfect fit. And if anybody is not sure, based on that description, I will put a picture or two of some examples I found on Google. So apologies to whoever's airplane that is. Uh, it's just an example to try to illustrate the point on on why we're talking about this. Okay, so um, I guess next up is a, a quick review of how the turtle deck is actually constructed. So Gary, why don't you put this in perspective for people that may not have their plans in front of them or haven't done this. Describe how the turtle deck and the bulkheads and describe how all that comes together. That way we can kind of peel back the sequence that will get you a good, smooth turtle deck. Well, I hope I can do this from memory. Of course, it's been quite a few years and I don't have plans for me. Basically, you're taking some formers, which are fairly thick and uh, kind of U-shaped to add a little stiffness to them. You're, you're actually taking two long sheets that the turtle deck is comprised of. And you're mating those two sheets together. And then once you got this big floppy turtle deck uh, that really doesn't look much like a turtle deck, you have to take a couple of people and try to bend this thing into a semicircle, stuff it down between the side skins and the longerons to get it positioned. Um, I think a lot of the problem starts to come from is because it's so large and you're having to do it all pretty much as one sheet, it's difficult, I think, to really ascertain what kind of gaps you've got between um, the, the formers in the bulkheads and the skin itself until you actually put a rivet in there and start to pull it down. At least that was my experience, Jeff. What was yours? Yeah. So you're right. The, the turtle deck itself is, is, is those two individual skins that get riveted together with a, like a stiffener spine, just a piece of C channel. Yeah. Um, and it lays on top of those bulkhead formers. So you have the lower box, which is just the aft fuselage box. And then you have the bulkhead formers that sit on top of it. And then the skin wraps around those bulkheads resting on the flanges. It, it forms essentially like a truncated cone. It's not purely cone shaped, but it's kind of a squash cone. But the point is, it's a flat wrap. There's there's no compound curves. So if it doesn't fit on all points of that truncated cone, uh, you'll get a high spot or a low spot, and that little low spot will show up as that dimple. And so you got to get every intermediate bulkhead exactly right. Otherwise, that low spot, you're going to see it when the rivet pulls it down tight. But it's always pretty much a compromise because as you're trying to fit this thing, as you know, you don't end up with four points that are going to be absolutely equal distance from each other. Right. So it's a matter of fudging it a little bit. You know, what looks a little bit better here? What looks a little bit better there? What can you live with uh, to get that spine at the top of the turtle deck to kind of, you know, track aft uh, in an appropriate way? So you're always making compromises. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I guess it's worth mentioning how the parts come out of the box when you you open up your kit. Sonic sends out 
the skins, and they're all cut to size. They're all the rivet locations are laser piloted, so they they assemble onto that that splice channel real easy. But the bulkheads and the flanges on those bulkheads, they're just sort of approximately bent to shape. They're they're more or less a ninety degree flange, but that's not the right the right angle. The fuselage forms this cone, and it tapers from front to rear. So those flanges are not really designed to sit at a perfect 90 degree, like a wing rib or something like that. They have to be at some angle to fit tightly against the skin. And and you have to adjust those angles. When you pull it out of the box, it's going to be close, but it's not going to be exact. And if you don't recognize that, if you just stick it on there and start drilling and riveting, those those flanges are not going to sit real tightly. So that's the first thing you got to do is you put the skin in place and you clico it to the side laundrons and it's all kind of floppy. And then you insert those bulkheads up underneath and kind of wiggle them up into position and just look at the fit of the, the flange. If the flange is bent at a perfect 90 degree instead of kind of at a taper, it's not going to fit against the skin. And so I just use a Sharpie and I make a mark right there next to the, the where the, uh, in between each of the flutes, there's like a little pad on the flange. Um, I make a mark right there, you know, and it, I use a simple coding, like a one, two, or a three. A one says that I got to bend it a little bit to make it match the the taper of the, the cone. Uh, you know, a two is a bit more and a three is I got to bend it a lot. And so I just kind of go through and pre-mark how much I have to adjust those flanges. Then you pull that bulkhead out and you get your little flange adjusting tool and you just kind of rebend the flange a little more, a little less, and then stick it back up there and test fit it again. And after you work those flanges a little bit either way, the fit will start to come in real precise. So now when you put that bulkhead in place, that skin is laying perfectly on that flange. And so it's kind of an iterative trial and error process. Mark it, adjust it, put it back in, observe, mark it, adjust it. And eventually you're going to get the fit exactly where you need to be. Now, are you working from the bottom of the fuselage with the skin off so you can get your head up Correct. and visualize yep. that? So the tail cone is up on sawhorses with no bottom skin. And that way you can get up inside it and get in there and really look. And if With some really nice flashlights. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, you have not riveted the bulkheads to the, the box, the fuselage box. They're just clamped in place. You don't want to rivet them because you want to be able to take them in and out so you can adjust the angles of those flanges. So that's the first step. Get all the flange angles adjusted so that it fits at the right angle and fits up tight to the skin. Then the, the second step is you have not actually drilled that bulkhead to the cross ties because they're going to each bulkhead is going to mount to a cross tie in the fuselage box. Don't drill those right away because you're going to want to take those bulkheads and kind of push them up nice and tight against the skin. Once they're sitting in the skin real well, then you go ahead and locate using the pilot holes in those cross ties. And a, a lot of people will, will kind of miss that. They'll, they'll go ahead and, and just fit those things up there and, and drill them and click them, but now you lose any ability to adjust that that fit just a little bit. So do not drill your your bulkheads to the cross ties until after your you've already adjusted the flanges and just just clamp them in place. Now, did you also find that you needed to use any fluting pliers? A little bit. As you adjust those angles, uh, you will start to warp the the bulkhead itself. So. For example, when the flange is at 90 degrees, the rib is probably nice and flat because it, it has been fluted so that the flange is at 90 degrees. 
if you adjust that flange a significant amount, then you're going to have to reflute, either increase the, the depth of the flute or maybe flatten it out a little bit to get the, the bulkhead flat again. But it'll be fa- relatively minor with the fluting pliers. And you can just kind of do that by eye as you adjust those flanges. Okay, so here, here's the other thing, which I think is is really good. After you get the, the fit of the bulkhead flanges to match the skin, now you can kind of push those bulkheads up tight against the skin from the inside, put a clamp on it. And I just use like a C-clamp so I can make sure that that thing won't move around at all. Tighten it up with a couple of C-clamps. Then you're ready to go to the outside and start pilot drilling through the, the pilot holes in the skin down into the flange. So the order you drill that is important. If you if you start at the top and then you work towards the middle and then you take a break and then you start at the bottom and work towards the middle, you're going to push anything that's not sitting tight into like a little bubble in the middle of the, and you're going to have a, a really bad divot right there in the middle. So much better to start at the top and just sort of work your way drilling and clicking all the way down. And that way you can keep it nice and flat and any of that excess that, that might form a bit of a bubble in the fit is going to get pushed to the bottom. It's the same type of thing when you're when you're doing the leading edges on your tail. You know, it has to bend over that leading edge curve. So you just kind of walk it forward one row at a time type thing or the leading edge of the wing. So you you start at the top of the turtleneck and you just kind of drill and clico from top to bottom, making sure that fit sits on the flange nice and smooth rather than kind of jumping around haphazardly where you might get a, a bit of a bubble that, that you can't you can't fix. So roll it on top to bottom, Clico it all in place. And then after you get them all piloted drilled and you've got them all in Clico, the last thing you can do, it's it, the, the flanges are physically Clico to the skin. Now you can loosen those C-clamps and, and make sure that those bulkheads are pushed nice and tight on the cross tie. Push them out, get them nice and tight, super you know good fit, tighten down the C-clamp, and then you can go ahead and pilot drill using the existing hole in the cross tie into that flange. And now you're, you're good. Your angles fit perfect. Your skin is nice and tight at every rivet location. Your, your bulkheads have been pushed, stretching that skin nice and drum tight. And, uh, and then you lock that in by, by drilling through the cross tie into the bulkhead. If you do it like that, you will have a perfect fit. There's no dimple opportunity. Well, let's just say you, you, you somehow managed to get a dimple opportunity because <laughs> I think sometimes you, you can get some still minor variances, too, after the point where you pop a rivet in there and you'll find out you'll get a little bit of a shifting or dimpling as well. Yes, you're right. Uh, certainly not as much as you're right, but you're going to get a little bit somewhere along the way. Right, and, and there's two ways. Um, the, the first thing you can do, especially before you actually rivet, so you can see with the Clico in place. Say after you've updrilled and you're you're getting ready to rivet, and you look at that Clico and you kind of get it in the light, and you can see, oh, it, there is a bit of a depression there. I am going to get a bit of a dimple. Well, you can pull that Clico out and then make up a couple of little shims out of some scrap twenty five thousand. You just make up a little rectangular pad. Make sure you round the corners so that the corners don't sort of poke into the skin and telegraph through. Drill your your hole for the rivet. Make sure everything's nicely deburred, and you can just sort of slip it between the skin and the flange, and that'll add just that extra little bit of thickness and keep it from dimpling down. That that's one way. 
And so you can make up three or four or half a dozen of these little shims. And then right before you you, put, you pop the rivet in, if you decide last minute, I really do need a little bit extra, a little tighter fit. Now you just go up inside the fuselage again and, and just work this little shim between the skin and the flange and put your rivet in and rivet all three of those together and you're good. The other way, if the shim doesn't work or if perhaps you've already set the rivet and then you realize that you probably could have used a shim, but you didn't, and you don't want to drill that rivet out. There is one last technique you can use to stretch that flange back up tight against the uh, the skin. And Gary, I think you were mentioning this previously. Yeah, I was just using a, a wooden dowel, like a you know one inch size diameter wooden dowel, a little bit of a light hammer from the inside, and just kind of finesse it back out, kind of like a paintless dent repair technique. And that works really well. That dowel is soft enough that it doesn't really like dent and bend up the flange, but you're just sort of stretching the fit just a little bit to, to kind of push that whole pad of the flange back up against the skin. Like exactly like you say, you're just kind of stretching it like a, like a dent repair. You can even take a, a dowel and uh, drill a hole so that it slips over the rivet tail and, uh, and you can get right on, you know, the location of the rivet. And that way you're not loosening the rivet in the fit, but you're just sort of stretching all everything underneath it. Sure. And if none of that works and you're not going to polish it, you just bond the crap out of the whole thing and just paint right. it. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of the, you know, the, the end result. If, uh, you know, if, if all else fails, yeah, you just cover it all up and, uh, and no one will ever be the wiser. <laughs> or you just let just, it go anyway. You know, all those little dimples and golf balls are there for a reason. They actually make, they seem to make the things fly farther. So I'm just going to keep a few of my dimples that I put in there on purpose just to make my plane go faster. I'm not buying it. <laughs> it cuts down, yeah, it cuts down, you know, it increases the boundary layer and cuts down, you know, uh, skin friction drag and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I do it, I do it to distract, <laughs> uh, you know, would be uh, critics of my airplane to look at that instead of the really big problems I have. <laughs> See, John, that that's why Mike is so cranky when he's flying behind you. You keep catching the sun just right, so he sees those dimples and you make him mad. Yeah, because he goes, "I'm faster than him," and he doesn't know why. Right. <laughs> well, anyway, Jeff's got some great points for those of you who have some OCD, like. Apparently Jeff does, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, they really want to try to do that workmanship. Some of those techniques are great. Unfortunately, most of us, when we did our first planes, and, and usually our Sonics was our first plane, uh, we didn't really have the forethought, foresight to do some of these. And so we kind of look at it and say, you know, next time, Jeff, you've been really pretty lucky. You've actually get to build three. You've done two yourself, and you get to help your son Isaac do his. So That's right. I'm sure that plane's going to turn out to be, you know, once sweet looking sonics when you guys get finished yeah it, it turned out really well we just completed the the turtle deck about a month ago and we used all these techniques um we used the sequence i described where you you simply clamp the bulkheads in place you adjust all the flutes you get everything done then you drill it to the skin then you push it up tight and then you drill it to the lower fuselage cross ties and by doing it that way that fit is just perfect. I mean, it looks like it, it couldn't be any better. Every station is fit perfectly, and it just it it just looks great. But the sequence is what allows you to kind of kind of continue those those adjustments. We're having some Skype difficulties, and John and Gary have dropped off. We're gonna just wrap this up and, and close the topic out. 
So the last thing I want to I want to just mention is before you commit to putting a rivet in or or even uh, locking in the alignment of the bulkhead to the cross tie, make sure you really spend some time sighting down the length of the fuselage. And if you catch the reflection of a shop light or anything like that, the aluminum is still pretty reflective, even just raw aluminum. And by shifting your gaze around and catching the reflection in a different way, you will very easily be able to see the distortions where those divots are. If you look at them, you know, dead on, you can't see them. Um, you, you may not even be able to feel them. But if you catch it at an angle and get the right light on it, they will jump right out at you. And so spend a little bit of time before you commit and kind of look at it from all sides and, and make sure that you're happy with the fit. Then go ahead and lock in to the uh, the cross ties and then before you pull the, the trigger on the rivet gun and, and lock the rivet in, with the Clico in place, uh, just make sure that you, you're still happy with the fit. And that's where you can pull that Clico out and, and watch the reflection of the light. And if you release the Clico and the, the distortion changes a little bit, well, you know you still have a bit of a dimple right there. And so you can even test it back and forth with the Clico to see if it changes the, the distortion in the, in the reflected light. And if that's the case, go ahead and slip a shim in there. And then after you pull it up, do the same thing. You set your rivet, get back in there, catch it in the light, and go back and double check and see that that the reflection is still nice and smooth and no dimple or distortion. And if it is distorted, well, then you have a decision to make. Drill the rivet out and maybe uh, put a shim in, or, or you can use the dowel method and just stretch it just a little bit from the inside. And it only takes a few light taps from from a, a hammer and a wood dowel to just stretch that enough to keep that dimple from, from showing through. So just do it a little bit at a time, and it will turn out just perfectly. And Isaac and I did this. It took us a day or two to do his turtle deck skin, and it turned out really, really well. So I encourage you. Don't get in too much of a rush, and and don't be afraid to kind of keep working it. Uh, it will fit. If you find that you need shims at every single location, that's a that's a sure sign that your bulkheads are too low. You need to push them up and and inside and the skin get that skin nice and tight. You got to push them up and out and and tighten it up. If you have already drilled the the bulkhead to the cross tie well then you might be stuck with it you can't push it up anymore that's why you want to wait to drill the bulkhead to the cross tie wait until you, everything else is done and that way you can push it as high as you need to there's plenty of meat to to slide that bulkhead around a little bit so so wait on that and at worst case scenario if you had to make like a a strip a one inch strip of twenty five thousand to to, to be like a, a shim that went a, across everything, you could even do that to kind of take up some of the distance if you had already fit the bulkhead to the cross tie. So again, work it a little bit at a time. Don't be afraid to experiment a little bit. And even after it's all done, you can get in there and, and make minor adjustments. Okay, uh, just uh, I, I mentioned the, the shims. You want to make those about a half inch wide by about three quarters of an inch long. It's essentially the size of a little pad on the flange where where it, the, it's going to be riveted. And then absolutely make sure you round the corners and deburr everything well because they will telegraph through. You will see those shims. If they're too tight or the edges are too sharp, you will see it underneath there. So you'll trade one problem for another. One final caution. If you're going to use the wood dowel and the mallet to stretch things, 
that's only for the last little bit of adjustment. There are limits. So when I say stretch it, we're talking about very subtle amounts here. Just changing the fit a little bit and changing the angles. You're not going to stretch it, you know, um, fractions of an inch. That's just beyond what the metal can do. So that is the last resort little bit of tweaking. I don't want anybody to misinterpret when I talk about stretching metal that um, you're not doing it a whole lot. You're just, that's the last little bit of finesse. Uh, body filler, Bondo, um, vinyl wrap, those are all options. Um, if you're not going to polish, then maybe none of this really matters because you can Bondo it and make it perfect no matter what. Uh, and then the vinyl, the vinyl will show the dimples, but it changes things a little bit and kind of obscures it too. So that might be an option if you just want to put a good looking finish on it and not have to worry about it. Do a vinyl wrap and no one will notice it. So anyway, so there's the tips. It is not that hard to get a really, really sleek, perfect, smooth turtleneck skin. And with a little bit of care in using these techniques, it's going to look like it was built by a pro. As we close out this episode, uh, I just got a, a couple of quick shout outs. Uh, we got several bits of feedback on the uh, the new model discussion that we had as part of our one of our previous shows. So of the feedback we received, two really caught my eye. First off, Paul Starley submitted a concept drawing of this high-wing Sonics model. And essentially, it's a converted Sonics. It looks like they took a Sonics fuselage and tail, just moved the wing up up to a high wing and built kind of a, uh, a structure to support the wing. And it looks pretty good. It's, it's a simplistic way of doing it, but I think it's a good-looking design. Paul said he sent that to Kerry, and Kerry replied that they had done similar studies on that. They had considered that. So, like I said, Sonics is definitely thinking about these things, but we might be able to give them an opinion as to what we all think would be a successful and a, and a good model for them to put their effort into. So if you have something, uh, send it to me and send it to, send it to Sonics and let them see what you're thinking of. And then another listener... John in Arizona, he suggested a slightly different concept. Uh, the one he suggested was a little bit bigger. It's a little more similar to a four-seat GA airplane, but again, with that speedy Sonics performance. It's kind of like uh, an all-aluminum Bearhawk, is, is my words on, on what he was describing. He's talking about using a little bit larger engine, like uh, the large Turbo Viking or an Aero Momentum or something in that 150 to 200 horsepower range, something more than just a Jabiru or uh, or that. And then he had a few other things that, that he really was um, looking forward to. He talked about a good 800-pound payload with a three-hour endurance and faster than a 172 and some performance things that he'd like to see. Uh, same type of Sonics construction, all aluminum, pulled rivets, all that stuff. So I'll put I'll put the things that he sent in the show notes and you can take a look at that. Uh, it's interesting because um, I think that from the response that I'm seeing, these two are just a couple of the responses that, that we got. I think that there is a lot of interest in a speedy high-wing model whether it's a little bit smaller two-seat Sonics or it's a little larger all-aluminum Sonics Bearhawk. I don't know. I think that there's something out there that people might be interested in Sonics developing. So send them your comments and let them know what's on your mind. And they're going to be at Sun and Fun in Oshkosh, so stop by and talk to Mark and Carrie about that. Maybe you can help them make up their mind as to what that next product ought to be. 
All right. I apologize to everyone for the technical difficulties um, on Skype. Skype is always a bit of a challenge. And tonight it gave us uh, quite the fit. So next time we will hope to have Skype ironed out and John and Gary won't have to drop off quite like we did today. We might get to our insurance topic. We're trying to get that lined up. And we've got a few others that are are starting to come together. So we'll see how our, our next one goes. You can visit us on the web at sonicsflight.com. And again, the show notes are available at sonicsflight.com slash three, four and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Apple podcast, Google play, uh, or you can listen to it right from the web page on your computer. Send us an email. You can find the link on the website or you can send it directly to feedback at sonicsflight.com. Always enjoy hearing feedback from listeners. And especially if they have something interesting, a suggestion or um, a tip on uh, a good, interesting guest. Um, We always like to try to get those at the front of the line. So get out there. Make sure you build your turtle deck in a way that's going to make people drool all over it. We are not responsible for greasy fingerprints all over your airplane at the the fly-in. But that's the goal, is to make a, a perfect, beautiful turtle deck that you can be proud of. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Fly safely. Views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Select podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. deafening silence here there's a deafening silence i hear you did we lose our host oh my goodness there he is i hate skype <laughs> did we lose the uh no it, it's it's initial all, it's all still recording so that that part was okay um okay but I'm, you've got some editing to do yeah <laughs> i know um I, I could hear you for a while i could hear you trying to like you know, oh, did we lose him? And I'm like, no, don't hang up. And I'm like, I don't know. It just it started doing crazy stuff. John, I'm here. Gary, can you? Oh hear me? my goodness, this we lost Jeffrey again. Uh, this is a mark gonna, point for the edit. He's gonna be. <laughs> I can just hear it now. <laughs> You're back, Jeffrey. Yes, and boy, I am gonna. We figured. <laughs> I thought I could hear the cussing from here. Uh, this, this just takes all the fun out of it. You just got to get through it. All right. Uh-oh. <laughs> this has been the recording from hell. <laughs> and it's on his end, not ours. Yeah. He needs to keep this little commentary in the podcast. Yeah, we'll see. He's going he's gonna to take out all of our nasty quips. I probably he's, think he's, so. He's still listening to us. I know he's still listening. I will not to listen to this podcast. I hate Skype. I'm telling you. <laughs>